If you have an interest in horses and love learning more about horses, the horse industry, teaching, or even managing your own horse business, then you're in the right place. We would love you to join us on our mission, which is to improve the lives of horses around the world through the education of riders, handlers, and trainers. So get comfortable, listen in, and enjoy. Catherine Shriver's on again today. Now, Catherine's been a guest several times on Horse Chats before. She's from Dharma Horse and often comes and talks to us. Actually, last time she came and talked to us about tracking system and some fencing that they've got at Dharma Horse, which is really, really interesting, I think. But she also has talked to us about the herbs that are relevant. She runs a sanctuary. That, so Dharma Horse is a sanctuary in New Mexico. So if you'd like to go back, have a listen to what Catherine's been doing. Just go to horsechats.com, search for Catherine, search for Schreiber, or go to dharmahorse.org. But today she's going to talk to us about bonding with your horse. Now, I think you've just go to the Dharma Horse and you'd have a look at Catherine's website and you'd say right throughout the website, right throughout all the podcasts that she's got amazing bonds and really, really pushes along those lines. Very supportive environment for these horses that have been neglected and not had very good care and she's able to offer them a sanctuary. But before we do that, I've just got to remind you about International Horse College and Horse welfare is of utmost importance when humans have any interaction with horses. And within the courses at International Horse College, you'll only see methods that promote safe and humane methods of interaction between horses and humans. If horse welfare is important to you, then go to internationalhorsecollege.com, registered training organisation 31352. Now, Catherine, we're going to talk about how to bond with your horse today. Is that right? Yes, ma'am. <laughs> Great. Great. Now, just going through that, and I suppose you've got to know and understand horses first. So observing your horses has got to be important. So so what sort of environment? I mean, do we observe them at night, end of day? Is it going to be any different? Just tell us a little bit about the observation, what we should be looking for when we observe our horse. Exactly. Um, what happens, Glennis, is if you are able to watch your horse during the day, during the night, get a sense of sort of a baseline of what his life is like, what his needs are like, his personality. Um, you'll have something to go by when something changes. You notice the changes in the horse, and those are always, you know, messages or sometimes red flags that something's going on. Um, I lived in a pasture with my horses. I actually lived in a pasture with my horses uh, years and years ago in Arizona. And the thing that by just walking around with them, being with them day and night, uh, long, strange story, but I learned so much about my two geldings. There was an injured mare in the pasture with them. And when she would lie down to rest, they would stand over her, their heads facing each other, and they would protect her. And when she would get up, they would stand in a way that if she needed, I'm serious, if she needed help, she could lean against uh, the older one. It was a yeah, 30-year-old Anglo-Arab. Uh, his name was Dorje, and they would walk to depressions in the ground during the day. There were trees everywhere, pasture, uh, not real rich, but nice, nice enough pasture. And the depressions in the ground would collect the cool air. In the hot days at Arizona, I would kind of follow them around. They would stand in the depressions. Uh, it was huge pasture, and then they would up on higher places at night and you would walk through and you'd feel the change in the temperature and you'd, the change in the humidity 
their awareness was so acute. And in turn, that helped me become more aware. You know, by observing them, we learned things uh, we just did this past few days. You know, we grind and soak hay for our 41-year-old horse who has no teeth. It's the only way that he can eat. So we do that and we feed him twice a day the ground-soaked hay. We have a 28-year-old off-the-track thoroughbred at the other facility where the track system is. And Mark has been noticing, because he gets his he gets alfalfa, because it's nutrient-dense, and he's 28, and his teeth aren't great, but he's still got some. And he was coughing, like he's having some trouble now with the mastication and, and getting it down. So every time you feed, there'd be this little cough and little specks of the hay come out. So, you know, this observation that maybe not everybody would be aware of, uh, hopefully those of us who love them so much are, we started feeding him the ground-soaked hay. So we're hoping that that will be a simple solution because it's so much easier to swallow. It was for the 41-year-old. <laughs> I don't know. Linus, I have this vision of every horse here finally is on the grounds. If they all live that long, it will be. It's an old age, isn't it? 41. It's certainly remarkable. Yes. Yeah. So, and they're all special needs and they have things in their elderly. So, but it's that observation. You can, you can bond with a horse if you know the horse well, and he will bond with you when he trusts you. So the observation and awareness of him as an individual, you, we know we all, we all learn about horses in general, horses as a species. And we know, you know, they can't vomit. We know all those things. They can't, you know, breathe through their mouth. They have no gallbladder, blah, blah. But when you get to know a horse as an individual, then you can really bond with him. That awareness makes you a much better partner. Thinking about I suppose when you were just living with the horses, you know, you'd be there with them. But people talk about different equipment to use with horses. You know, do we need any sort of special equipment just to get that initial bonding started? Should we not use equipment and just observe and see what happens? Or what's your views on using equipment to bond with your horse? For us, there are amazing things that happen when the horses come in sanctuary. Uh, sometimes they're overcoming a lot of things. We trigger reactions or responses when we don't mean to, but as you get to know them, then that trust begins. We can spray them all with the fly spray without catching them, all except one right now, the most recent rescue. But they, they come to trust you like that and they know what you're doing and their you know, awareness of your intention. Um, a horse where you need to go ahead and put a halter and a lead shank on and explain to him that you're not going to hurt him, then over time, that equipment, that way of sort of restraining isn't necessary because you don't need to restrain. The trust is there. This is something though, you know, each individual is going to be uh, different just like we are. And the degree of ability to trust depends on that well of experiences. If they've had a lot of negative, it may not come to the point where you can do stuff without a halter, but it does here. And eventually just about every horse, I know Goose will come around too. Every horse knows what we're doing. So they're participating in it and they're grateful to have the the fly spray but we do tend to think like the more tack you have between you know the two of you between you and the horse the less he's going to feel your genuine connection and that tactile awareness the peripheral vision his ability to smell and his acute hearing it means that they feel and see and hear everything that we do but does it have meaning and 
when we're using a lot of equipment and the way that we're approaching them and trying to, to signal things to them, if we're confining, contracting, uh, trapping them, it's going to bring some apprehension and some fear. If we're coming to them with just total indifference, then their response is going to be indifference toward us. They are so aware. And I don't think that if we are caught up in what we want to accomplish with the horse, you know, if, if we're competitive or if we're, we're needing to prove something, then we will never get fully from the horse what he has the ability to offer. Does that make sense? So basically what we're saying is we've got to give him reasons to seek that connection because I'm thinking about the fly spray. Well, the fly spray itself might be, you know, make a bit of a funny noise or have a bit of a spray or a funny smell. But then once they realise that the fly spray is good for them, then that's the reason to seek that connection. Is that right? That's right. And isn't it amazing because they will realise that. They are intelligent, you know, sentient, loving beings with great gentleness. And everybody here has that sense of, oh, come on and spray in the morning when the flies are starting to wake up in the sunshine. And they're like, please, you know, help me out here. Give me some some fly spray. Uh, you just got to be you got to be kind and compassionate and help them understand. Uh, you know, we give treats. We don't let horses mug us. We do things that, you know, to express our gratitude and to reassure them. And we try to make, you know, really healthy treats so that we're doing things that that enhance their physical bodies as well as their emotional bodies. And we hug them. Some of them hug back. You know, I'll tell you something. Them seeking that connection, they've just got to have that sense of that we love and we're looking out for them. Glennis, I watched a trainer not long ago months ago now, but it's weird time now. But he had a, a two-year-old filly he was going to ride in a demonstration. And I had just come around and was wanting to kind of watch. We were at a, an event where we were had a little booth and stuff. And this trainer had the reins from his, I'm trying to think it might have been a hackamore, but I actually think it was a bit on this young horse. And he put them through the pipe on a fence and there was tall grass right under her. And she would reach down to eat the tall grass, and he'd pop her in the face with the end of, of that rain, just pop her right in the face. And of course, my first gasp, and it's thinking about her eye, hitting her in the eye and things. But then I got sort of a rage inside of me, which I have to control because, you know, that was none of my business, but it is in a way. <laughs> um, her trust is broken by that because if you want her to just stand there and be quiet, don't stand her over the tall grass. If you you want her to trust you. Don't assault her in the face. Watching it and, and knowing that the demonstration was going to be given of these techniques, I walked away. I would not watch it. I could not bear that. But I would call that a certain way to break a bond with a horse is to betray that trust and betray that connection. That's a real good way to do it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think, um, you know, I know riding, you know, riding, training. Mm-hmm. It's got to be very consistent and very clear, but that was quite mixed then, wasn't it? You know, how, how can we go about refining that so they are consistent and clear? That's that's all that a horse really asks of us, is that, that we have the clarity and consistency that he can understand us. Yeah, and when I say like, I'll say like refine our requests, it really means to have a plan. We want to, to refine and finally hone our own skills 
you know, so that we can give our signals that we mean. We want the horse to understand us because we're coming through with exactly what we want to say. I wrote an article for Dressage and Combined Training Magazine, and it was called, and they, they used my title, There Is No Aid for Oops. And that's, there's no way to tell a horse that I, oh, I didn't mean that. And you know, my perfect example is, is from when I was teaching. And if you've told a student, she's going down the center line, and I, I say, uh, at C, turn left. And she mixes it up or whatever. She turns right, and then she goes, oops. And she grabs the horse by the mouth or by the fitless bridle, and she just yanks around, tries to get him to go the other way. She's focusing on her own mistake, but what she told the horse was exactly what he did. He was compliant. He was gracious. He did the turn as she asked, but she is hearing what the instructor said and goes, oh, no, I went the wrong way. So she's making the horse go the way he was supposed to. It's the absolute worst thing to do. And there is no aid. There is no language or way to say to the horse, oops, I made the mistake. I'm sorry. They only know what we are telling them. And so if he's done exactly what we ask with our aids and our signals and maybe, you know, the direction that we're looking and, you know, sending cords out from our belly button to grab a tree and pull us in that direction. We do all those visualizations and those things. And he does exactly what we said. And then we realize that we did the wrong thing. For heaven's sake, don't punish the horse for our mistake. Yeah. Yeah. What if the horse makes a mistake? Is, is that our mistake or the horse's mistake? What happens there? You know, if you ask the horse to do something and then they do the opposite or something a little bit different to what you want. Yeah. Really is semantics, isn't it? It's, it's using the word mistake. Um, he can he can falter in a request. He can um, maybe not comprehend or not be sound enough or not have the foundation to do something that we do ask. But very oftentimes what looks like a, a mistake is something that we may be miscommunicated. Like if your hips are, are lined up for a left lead canter, and you actually wanted a right lead canter, don't punish him because he took the left lead because that was the one that you were actually lining up for. Um, confusion on the horse's part can certainly undo his confidence because if we aren't consistent, there's no way that he can be. And if we just tweak something just enough for him to be uncertain, he'll give a try. Um, a lot of times when we've been training horses or retraining horses, and I have a rider or have something going on and we're working on the canter and the horse is having trouble with the canter and she you know, keeps going around to the right, keeps picking up the left lead. And I'll say, he's giving you half of what you asked. He's giving you the canter. And if we're in a big enough area, I'll say, go on and go you know, track to the left, go on with that. He's giving you what he could at the moment. Um, let's reassess what you're doing. Let's reassess the soundness, see what's happening. Um, but by calling it a mistake, it holds him to a standard of our making and an ideal that maybe we've put out there that he's not quite ready to accomplish or he hasn't understood. So, yeah, there is no aid for oops. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's, I like that one. I like that one. Yeah. So just sort of bringing it back, we've got to give those consistent clear aids, make sure we're communicating, and then we're really setting the horse up for success. And if the horse is set up for success, then you know, we've got a way forward. Yep. Yep. Exactly. You know, don't, don't ask him for a flying lead change. Don't start asking him for the flying lead changes. If you haven't practiced simple changes, you know, if you haven't built the foundation, you can 
ask for something you haven't set him up for success. And then if you do, you know, my old, you know, what I say when you're bonding with a horse, start him with something that he knows and is comfortable with and then add the more complicated new things and then end your session with him, whatever you're doing, with something that he's familiar and confident with. And then he'll always look forward to your interactions. Yep. Yep. Now, Catherine, you're talking about asking your horse. So what's the best way? Is it words, body language, signals? Tell me what you think about asking them to work with you. You know, it's all of those things. Um, We use, you know, our words, our language, our body language, all the different signals. We need to use all of that when we're interacting to kind of ask him if he feels up to working with us, you know, today. If we come to him and he's resisting, you know, he may have pain. He might be frustrated. He might be frightened. We don't know necessarily if we haven't been able to observe him that night, that day, whatever. Uh, We may not know what has happened. So we need to ask him with the clear uh, intent to listen to what we're going to get back. So we're asking, are you up to this today? Do you, how are you feeling today? You know, I would say, Juniper, how are you? And really look at her to see how she feels. And I like to put my hands on the horses a lot um, to to feel their bodies, you know, uh, is, are the ribs showing? Do, do I feel them? Or, you know, gosh, are they too fat? I'm not feeling them. Uh, touch them a lot. Does that look swollen? Does that feel hot? It's just that awareness. And if you're asking, you're uh, honoring that horse. And in that honoring, the horse feels more comfortable with you. I really believe that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you talk about listen. Now, are we listening as in the sound or are we observing responses? So, so you know, if we talk, we, we'll talk to the horse, which is, you know, fairly um, natural, I think, right across all forms of horsemanship to just have that soothing voice and the reward you may not want to do in the competition arena if you're a dressage rider or something. But, you know, we talk about listening. Is that the sound we're listening for or the responses we're listening for? You know, and you've made me think of how we would listen to the sound as well. Mostly it's his responses. We're listening to um, try to hold that form for understanding so that we, in our observing him, we're listening to what is communicated back to us. But you made me think about like you're trotting, um, it won't happen across turf, but if you're, you're trotting across a dirt road or something, listening to the footfalls, listening to the rhythm of his gates there's a way to listen and understand that something might sound off or that um, he's groaning or something's not right. So there are actual sounds you'll hear, but that listen part is just that awareness because if you're observing him daily, when he's communicating his needs or he's communicating his worries, you're going to be much quicker to pick that up. So the work you're doing with them, you know, I mean, you're very clear on the sort of work. This is the foundation, I suppose, that's for any sort of training, you know, just training, communication. We've got to have some sort of foundation. Just can you go over that foundation that we do need just to get this bond with the horse? It's Yeah, and it's, it's so valuable and it seems so very simple. I think human beings have this unique ability to complicate things and to make systems for themselves, systems to teach to others that aren't necessarily focusing upon what's best for the horse. Um, when you build that that foundation that you're going to work from, you use that plan, you, you make a plan, whether you're, you're riding the dressage or whether you're going down the trail or whether you're doing liberty work or whatever you're doing, 
the plan isn't isn't something that's like rigid and stone and that's what the horse has to follow it's the plan that you have to follow which is the ask listen direct and support you are making yourself more aware not not so much aware here's my awareness of the horse here's my awareness of me as two separate things you're making yourself aware of the bond that you're building between you and the bond is what secures that trust the horse trusts you because you're trustworthy you're trusting him because he's trustworthy as you start working your plan with your awareness of him everything just kind of unfolds for you one of the most important things in that is if things go awry if you feel like mistakes are being made whatever you want to, to call things that don't quite fit where you wanted them to you step back and like we've said if you're jumping you know two nine fences you bring them back to two six you bring them back to two three you do what you need to do to bring the horse back to a place that's comfortable that makes sense to him you give a reason to reward because if all he ever hears is you did it wrong you did it wrong you did it wrong uh he's not going to want to do anything anymore and if you bring things back to a comfortable space that's familiar and you go back to cross rails you uh if you've been trying to do something at the trot you go ahead and do it at the walk you've been cantering you come back to the trot then all of a sudden you work the plan from there and you can step forward again to what you're having trouble with and you may have just you know pushed right through that barrier and he understands now but if anything becomes forceful brutal the horse feels trapped the horse feels coerced uh you don't have a bond you have not a partner you have someone um who's submitting someone who is yeah is your slave yeah Catherine tell us a little bit about rewards what's the best way to reward the horse how often should we reward the horse so if you can tell us a little bit about that yeah because we believe in that the a reward based system as opposed to like a punishment based system that you give the horse um a reason to work for you a reason to participate in this dance and what you want to do is is to reward every attempt that he gives to please you any attempt he gives to please you you praise and you can praise it with your voice you can stroke him you know whap on him you know real hard like you're cleaning a rug but you you pet him you tell him uh you can if you're riding you can reach down and give him a treat whatever it is that you begin to build together as that reward for him You know that sometimes especially like if you're a dressage rider just the yielding of the rein is a reward the yielding of the rein is a signal that that's correct and a dressage rider uh in classical terms in the terms of softness is always riding by yielding and coming back to base like in the position of the leg the hand uh, especially the hand your yield and come back to base rather than pull and go back to base it's a it's, it's this process of softness and and yielding to get the horse um I don't want to say yield to conquer that sounds horrible you yield to communicate um it did sound bad you yield to communicate and then the horse stretches into a movement rather than contracting into a movement and that can be a basis whether you're a dressage rider or any other kind of rider that the horse is is seeking that stretch and that relaxation and he can only do that when there is a a release there is a softness there is a breath instead of a contraction and there got to be something in it for him for him to want to work with us 
and, you know, reward is a real good way to do it. And there's so many different ways to do that. Even just good boy, good man, good girl. Mm -hmm. Catherine, I love the way you work with horses and I'm sure a lot of our other listeners love it as well. Now, We've already talked about on lots of your previous chats about going to dharmahorse.org. If people would like to specifically go a bit deeper into bonding with your horse, the best website for that is dharmahorse.org or yes. bondwithhorses.com. Yes, ma'am. Is that the best way to contact you through either of those websites or the, your phone either number, email will be on there? Yep. 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 Everything's on there to, to get hold of Okay. Of us. <laughs> yes, yes. And also, too, if um, if people aren't can't write it down right now, just go to horsechats.com. You could search for Catherine, search for Schreiber, search for Bond with Horses, search for Dharma Horse. I'm sure that you'll find all that information there that you need. And at the bottom of each of, um, you know, so each chat goes onto an individual page and on the bottom of each, each of Catherine's pages are links to the other pages as well as contact details. So I'm sure that people won't have any problem at all trying to find you, Catherine. I think um, they can get them just go direct through the Horse Chats website or um, through Bond with Horses or dharmahorse.org. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. Catherine, thank you. Thanks for coming. You know, always good to talk to you and just go over and just sort of give people a reminder, give ourselves a reminder of the way that we should be communicating and bonding with our horse. Yes. Thank you so much. No worries at all, Catherine. We hope to catch up with you again. I really liked your track system that we talked about last time. Love this one. So, yeah. 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 <laughs> so uh, looking forward to the next one. You've certainly got a wide variety of um, topics to chat about. Talk to you soon. Bye-bye. Thank you. Bye-bye. If you've enjoyed this chat, then please comment, rate and subscribe. If you'd like any changes or recommendations for guests, then please contact us through horsechats.com. And while you're online, have a look at the government accredited courses at internationalhorsecollege.com. Registered Training Organisation 31352. Remember that our comments and instructions are general in nature and do not take into consideration your individual horses or your individual ability and circumstances. If you enjoyed this podcast, then please leave your comment below 